Welcome to the Scuttlebutt Podcast. I'm Rich Mellon, and today we are in a very different place for a trapper. We are in downtown Toronto. My guest is Bill Davies. Bill, welcome. Hi. And it's a pleasure. I, I, what does Toronto have to do with trappers? <laughs> well, other than fostering a few of us, um, there's a lot of raccoon down here, but I'm myself, I was born and raised in Toronto, but I don't live near Toronto. So okay. I couldn't get further west without becoming an american so in, oh, Ont- okay. in, in ontario so that's okay. what that's where i live now and that's where i do most of my trapping i have a trap line in what would call uh from here would be called northern ontario but it's really central ontario okay yeah i, n- I noticed that it's kind of funny when people talk about northern ontario and i, I go out, i look on the map and I, they're still south of calgary <laughs> <laughs> well uh, being in toronto i uh, born in toronto i I always thought Bracebridge was going north, which probably doesn't mean a lot to you. No, I'm... But that's two hours north of Toronto until I started uh, doing the Ontario Fur Managers um, for a few years. And then I found that most of Ontario was north of Toronto. And the guys in North Bay or in, in Thunder Bay would call North Bay, we're going south. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, Ontario's pretty big. So, okay, so... Take me, how did you start in, like, were you, yeah. were you born into the life of trapping? Well, well, I wasn't born into the life of trapping. In fact, uh, I was born more into the life of the outdoors, uh, hunting and fishing. Um, being in Toronto, I was very anti-trapping when I was a teenager. Really? Um, even when I hunted, like, we were always taught to kill, um, very humanely, right? And yep. when we first went on uh, uh, out hunting and we'd see traps, um, I now have a trap supply business, but <laughs> <laughs> I probably shot more traps than I've ever owned. Okay. Because what we saw on TV from the anti-fur movement, um, there was no other voice out there, if you know what I mean. Like, yep. the, the, the trappers weren't out there, so... Oh, we, no, no, we, I know. We, you got to understand, back in those days, you had to have money to yeah. have media. Well, e- even at that, my, as soon as I got my trapper's license, the first time I was ever at an Ontario Trappers Association event, okay, which was the first year, I stood up at a meeting and I said, you know, <clears throat> the anti-trapping guys in Toronto are winning. They're doing their job. We need to, as trappers, uh, get out there and give give our our side of things and an old gentleman by the name of lloyd cook um he's, he's a very nice guy but he stood up and he says son i know you have good intentions but these anti-trappers are going to go away if we just ignore them and i said no i think you're you're sadly mistaken uh, <laughs> yeah and but uh we we i mean we have we've come a long way we uh I got out into uh, out into western su- southwestern Ontario, and I'd be hunting with people who trapped, and it's, I'd say, "Yeah, you can't trap. You're ripping their legs off. You know, you're you, all this stuff that I saw on TV was true." And they, no, no, it's not. No, no, it's not. No, no, it's not. Yeah, fa- so, fake news wasn't just invented for the internet. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I think the anti-trapping movement started it, or the anti-hunting. Tra- so when I got to see that the animals, like, you would never have been able to pay. I mean, you could have made a lot of money if you bet me that a fox would be asleep in a foothold trap. Right, right. Um, 
but because of my background, I've done a lot of talks with kids. Uh, I've done the uh, uh, London's Children's Museum. I've done schools. What, what background? Let me, I just what, well, ask with, that. With my background of being hunting and fishing, anti-trapping, and then very pro-trapping. Like I, the Ontario Fur Managers, who I'm sure you're aware of. Right. I was a founding member. I did the original. Most people would look at me as the father of the constitution of that association. And then for a while, for about four years, I was president of the Canadian National Trappers Alliance. So from going from anti-trapping to extremely pro-trapping is what I'm talking about. Okay. So how did that happen? Well, it got out by experience. Like I said, I, my father taught me in hunting, never take a shot unless you know the animal's going to die. Yep. So we were never anti-killing. We were anti-cruelty. Absolutely. Okay. We all are that. Right. So when I got out, I've, I mean, like I said, the only side of the story I saw was what was portrayed on TV, right? So then some of my buddies would say, well, come on with me. If you think what you're saying is right, come with me. And here's a fox sleeping in a trap if you walk up to it. I mean, that was, yep. in my mind, unheard of, right? Right. And so I started to see things from their perspective and realize what the antis produced as trapping <laughs> was not. I know. Okay. Like, I mean, you, you see so much of it where, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the mother is laying there waiting just to get back to her cup or her kits in the, in the den and all, which is such pure crap because mm-hmm. the, the kits are born in the spring. Trapping happens in the fall after, uh, after the kids are, are, are adults, you right. know, and, I mean, there's so much uh, emotion. They, they use a, a, any little bit yeah. of emotion that they can to make us, us look bad and make other people feel bad right. about what we do. So, so, uh, so from that, I didn't mind the killing of the animal. I didn't mind using the animal. Um, and it wasn't at all what I had been taught uh, for years. So when, when I would start talking with kids or adults, I'd give them my background and before I go into my, tr- my explanation of trapping, I'd always say, who here sort of feels like I used to feel where trapping wasn't maybe the best thing to do? And you'd be surprised, even in the rural areas, how many hands would go up, right? Well, they still believe that the toothed leg holds and all that kind of right. stuff, right? Yeah. yeah. So then I would turn to them and say, okay, who here has talked to a trapper, been with like sort of walking them through my experience. Who here's been with a trapper, talked to a trapper, been out trapping? And nobody had been much, right? So then I'd pick on one of the people who didn't raise their hand. I said, so I heard a real rotten story about you, and I believe it, and I don't like you, and I don't like what you do because of it. And they, especially as you get into the older kids, they'd say, that's not fair. <laughs> I say, you're right. For you, <laughs> but isn't that what you've done to me? Yeah. So I'm not asking you to believe me. I'm just asking you to give me a chance. Yeah. And I've always believed in the. Uh, I, I've heard it called the 10-80-10 theory or the 20-60-20 theory. In other words, tw- 10% of the people will always agree with you, right? 10% of the people will never agree with you, but there's that 80% in the middle. So I don't ever try and persuade uh, folks who I know are 
uh, you, you are, the organizers uh, of it. But you that eighty percent first admitted anti-trapper that I've ever heard that that actually saw the light. Usually with anti-trappers, I just you know block, delete, and done. I mean everything's done on social media <laughs> today, right? <laughs> I, I don't. Well, we see where this interview's <laughs> going in a hurry. <laughs> no, because because there's, they they don't want to uh, listen to reason. They don't right. want to see facts or anything. It's like arguing about climate change or anything else today or carbon taxes. And, you know, it's just, you you have to go with this emotion right. and, and the whole thought, you know, like that um, there's no such thing as too little of a, of, of a thing to be important or too little amount to be important. You, when you found or saw the light, that was how many years ago now? <laughs> many. <laughs> More, probably 30, I'm trying to think, 30, been married 38 years, so probably 36, 37 years. So that was even before the, the uh, new, the Ahidas uh, agreement. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, yeah, but, and so. before the changes to the foothold traps yeah. and, and. And I, I even got my, like, the AIDS agreements has done us great things. Yep. Where. If I've been speaking to the Council of City of Toronto, like like I said, I was very involved in the trapping organizations, um, and I'd go to a lot of the meetings, especially when something bad happened. And it was nice to be able to say these traps have passed international humane trapping standards, especially when you had folks like Liz White standing there from Animal Alliance, and I could say, you know, well, they're eating themselves apart. And, and like we always, like when Walt Disney, mm-hmm. the animal eats itself out of, or chews its leg off to get out of a trap. We all thought that's true. Right, okay? right. And then I went with a guy and he says, no, if you use even the right size foothold, they can't get underneath. They never chew above. Yeah. And the proof of the pudding in that one is the DP traps we, we yep. now have, right? Yeah. A coo, a coo never chews himself out that's of That's a, a dog-proof trap. Yeah. And yeah. they are a, 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 and then a tube. Yeah, yeah, and and the the coon shoves its paw in there. The reason reason for them is that is that the the coon will shove his paw in to try and get the bait. A dog won't, so right. they call him a dog proof trap. And and uh, I have to explain that because we don't have coons where I come from. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, what a raccoon would do because it's got such a narrow nose. Okay. Yeah. And the way I explain it to people, I said, if you put an elastic around your finger, does it hurt? No. No. What le- what happens to your finger if you leave that elastic around there for ten minutes? Well, it, we it just goes... did, we just did that with my daughter's uh, ca- calves uh, on their farm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it was her finger. No, it wasn't her finger. <laughs> <laughs> maybe the other end. <laughs> but it just goes numb, right? Yeah. And I said, if you don't think raccoons or wild animals bite at what's holding it, just grab a critter by the by the by the paw. Yep. And hold on to it. I said, is the animal in discomfort? No. I said, but you better hold on to it tight because it's going to chew your hand all up, right? So I ex- explained to him, and this I've never had explained to me before I left Toronto where the animal's paws now numb. They're not chewing to get out of the trap. They're oh. chewing at what's holding them. Yeah. And when they got no feeling in their, their hand or foot, yep. then if they can still get at it, they'll, they'll do... They're just chewing for the sake of chewing. 
I, I learned that when I was when I first started trapping. I mean, I was just a kid. I was I wasn't even a teenager yet. But we knew that the colder it got, the more often we had to check our, our footholds. And the, and this was in the days, of course, before heaters and offset traps and all that. And the whole idea behind a rubber jawed trap and an offset trap is the fact that it it doesn't uh, uh, cut off the circulation to the paw, so they they don't their paw doesn't freeze or whatever. They remain right. feeling in it and they won't chew out. Exactly what it, you're talking about. Right. So. But we knew that if, if we were going to have an animal, like the, the, we were, you know, I mean, it was big money for kids and uh, we were just the, the, the greatest capitalists ever. So I had to be there. I didn't want to lose what I'd caught. <laughs> well, right? well and, and that was also one of the things we always heard, that the animals were pulling out, breaking their yeah. bones, stuff like that. So when I got into situations where people would question that, I'd say, I trap for the fur. I don't yeah, trap for the toenails. No. I don't trap for the paws. I don't nope. trap for the legs. I don't trap. I trap for the fur. Yep. So if I'm using traps that are cutting things off or breaking things off, I'm actually going against what I'm trying to do. I had one teacher once say to me, um, and you can usually tell if you're into a group. She got up and she says, and this is going back in the late 80s. But like I used to just, it, once the fall came, that's all I did was was trap right she said the only reason you trap is for the money i said ma'am you're absolutely right yeah and she says what i said you're absolutely right i said but the only reason you teach is for the money she says well that's not true i teach because i love children i said so you'll come here tomorrow and start teaching for free yeah <laughs> there and you go in injecting see, facts and reason right yeah so she's <laughs> The principal actually came up to me afterwards. He says, I've never seen anybody put her in the replace like that before. But it's true, right? Yep. I said, so I trap because I love it. I love the outdoors. I always have. Like, But you have an immense amount of respect for the animal. And yes. you, you want to make sure that, yes, you're taking its life, but you want to do it fast and quick. And I often say, like, when my time comes, you can stick my head in, the, in, in a 30-30 in a Belial yeah. or whatever and let, let's get it done with, right? right? And, and, and the thing is, and I try and tell people, no matter what you do, death, you can't prettify, or I don't even know if that's a word. Beautify. Beautify <laughs> death, no, right? It's an ugly process. And if you take an animal that's, if I grabbed an animal by the foot and held on to it for the first 20 minutes, the way I explain, they say, well, do they fight the traps? I said, absolutely. I said, you ever tie a puppy dog up first for the time, first yeah. time? What do they do for the first two days? Oh yeah, it's they'll they'll fight the trap till they get to, or the the leash till they'll get, they get tired, right? Yep. They'll lay down, go to sleep. Then when they get up again, they'll fight that, and then eventually they'll give in. They're caught, and that's what wild animals do. Yeah. And you explain that to people, and that makes sense. The trouble is, the an, the animal rights groups take a ten second picture of a tr of a animal in a trap yep and they say this is the norm how yeah. would you like to be like this till you die and that's not the truth no it's it's not it's not and and once again i mean they're 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 clouding the issue they're bringing in the you know the young and the den and they're and they're bringing in yeah. the time of year and all that kind of stuff but when we were doing it and, and this was before way before the, the, the certified traps and all that. It was just a matter of fact that we, we wanted yeah. to, to, to maximize. We had a coyote or a wolf or, or whatever. And, and the sad part of the story of that is the animal was used. Yep. Okay? Now as fur prices are going down, 
what the animal rights people were more afraid of will happen more often because animals have to be took now when they're a nuisance, right? Yeah. So if there's a nuisance animal killing sheep or killing something, you can't wait for those young to get no big. Delta waterfowl has that has that that pro that I don't know about here, but in Alberta and on the prairies, they have a program where they will pay trappers to trap coyote and, and fox all summer long. Right. They're starting right because it's to to protect right. ducks and that kind but, of stuff. But when fur prices were good, you didn't hear of no. The, you heard of it. I, I don't want to say it never happened, but it didn't happen much. Now there's a whole industry around nuisance animal trapping. Yes. Right. Yeah. And, and I I'm not dumping on that industry at all uh, whatsoever but when we can't sell the fur guys tend to take less like when when i i'm going back to the 80s i used to make 25 to thirty-five thousand dollars a year in trapping yeah okay yep i used to scrape and a lot of not me personally i had a little bit of business going on the side around four to six thousand raccoons every year uh for other people really at five bucks a hit so that was on top of the fur market right yeah we don't have that market now at all i no. mean that market's if i do 50 raccoons for somebody else that's an unusual year now right because yeah. <laughs> when you got an eight dollar raccoon and you're going to give three bucks to the auction house and a buck to the <laughs> government right? and you're going to give a five bucks to me to yeah. scrape it yeah yeah, yeah. The, 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 there's not as many people hunting. But now there's more and more raccoons coming in, especially in farmland, where they're doing way more crop damage. So when they're doing the damage, the farmer just wants them out of there, period. He doesn't care what time of year it is. No, no. So if they let the natural harvest and, and it be worthwhile, you wouldn't see the issues. I'm not saying you'd see no issues, but I don't think you'd see the well, right now, I mean, coyote for forever. When I was when I was a kid, and that I mean, a coyote was a twenty-five, thirty-dollar animal, right? That was it. And now they're worth a hundred dollars more than that out well, west. You, you go out in southwestern Ontario where I live. When I first started to trap, if we caught a coyote, a coyote a year, that was really cool, right? Right. right. Fifty, sixty foxes, absolutely. But one, two, maybe, you know, two or three coyotes a, a year, max. Now, I mean, they're, they're out there prolific, oh, right? Yeah. And there's very few fox because... Well, coyotes coy eat fox. Yeah. <laughs> coyotes eat fox. Yeah. And now the farmers are saying, well, why are we seeing more and more uh, predation by coyotes? Well... Because there's more of them. Because yeah. there's more of them and they're hungry. <laughs> and they don't... <laughs> well, you, you take in Alberta. I mean, we, we ship on average forty thousand coyotes a year out of Alberta to the auctions. Yeah. That's just to the two main auction houses. You can imagine what it would look like in our world if we didn't have trappers, right? And the trappers are doing it for free, right? It, it was like uh, um, Andy Hauser. Um, he used to be the head of the uh, fish and wildlife section of Ontario for the government, mm -hmm. and we were at a dinner once, and this is going back years ago. And we talked about Northern Ontario, Southern Ontario, and people up north, even when I got into trapping, ah, you're just a ringtailer. Like, 
we trap raccoons, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of them. And uh, so Andy Hauser, he says to me, he says, Bill, do you realize that more volume of fur and more dollar of fur comes out of Ontario from North Bay South as opposed to North Bay North? And if you look at that chunk of Ontario, it's very small compared to, you know, from North Bay all the way up to Kenora. How far would North Bay be from here? Probably about four hours north. So four, that's it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, it's, I, I don't know if you can envision a map of Ontario. A little bit. But where it narrows right down and yeah. Quebec's right here and the lake's right here and Ontario gets yeah. narrow. Yeah. That's from there down is basically. So you're still south of Canada then. <laughs> For the most part. I, they talk about farming doing stuff like that, right? And the farmers say, we can't compete with the Americans. And I'm looking, they're more north than we are. Right? Yeah. Most of Minnesota's north of you. Well, well, I have a bait and tackle shop in Windsor, Ontario, which is right under Detroit. Really? I yeah. have fished the Detroit River many times. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, if you've ever been into Wally's Bait and Tackle, that's my bait and tackle shop. No kidding. Yes. Um, but Is that like under the Ambassador Bridge? Yeah. Okay, that I've been there. I have bought. <laughs> I've bought a fishing license there. <laughs> but fr- that is the only point in Canada where you actually travel north to the U.S. Yeah, right? yeah, that's cool. That's a great fishery. Uh, yeah, oh, it's, it's, used to be. I, I, it, I oh, it's it. getting better. The, we have a bit of a problem with, uh, in my opinion, of overpopulation of muskies. But uh, well, Lake Sinclair, we fished the tournament of Lake Sinclair one time, and. Uh, uh, I was out on the dumping grounds, and I, we were trolling across the tops of the weeds in the mm-hmm. dumping grounds. Now, on, on the Saturday, there was a couple of there was a musky tournament going off, and there was two bass tournaments, and I could not keep smallmouth bass and musky off of right. my lures, right? And, and, but the problem there is, is what happens when you protect the top end predator? Predator, yeah. Right? When uh, you don't, people don't think of uh, fish like we think of animals for whatever reason. I don't know, but if you protect protected the the apex predator what's going to happen to the the feed oh it's 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 obvious what's going to happen i mean anybody's that has seen it so So, do you have then in in uh ontario are there registered trap lines in southern ontario it's private land oh so and then when you get up to the severn river and well if and that's just a rough line but not just before north bay Okay. About an hour this side of North Bay, you start getting into Crown Land, and wherever there's Crown Land, there's registered trap lines. And those are bought and sold. No, oh. you can't. You can't buy and sell a trap line. You really? Can, you can buy and sell the improvements you've yeah, made to it. <laughs> same, the same same rules we have in Alberta, but yeah, it's the same girl, different dress. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. But you can't say you can buy and sell a trap line or a trap license, right? But, but you you, you end up having yeah. the exclusive right to that trap line. Yes. Yeah, yeah. To trapping there. Do you have a registered or are you a, a residential? I have, I have, I have a private land trapping license in Southern Ontario. Mm-hmm. I have a registered line of my own just north of Huntsville, which is just south of North Bay. Okay. And I'm an O2 trapper. I don't know if you heard of a great big huge town called Scriber, Ontario. No. <laughs> you know where Nipigon is? Yes. Okay. Well, if you come back an hour. This way of Nipigon is a town called Scriber. Okay. And I trap on a 
guys lying up there. I haven't been up there for a year or two, but. Uh, oh, two. So then that yeah. means that you're like a junior on the line. Or yeah. You're, you're his, his assistant. <laughs> yeah. Or? yeah. Yeah. You're, you're on there with his permission. And then whatever he tells you, you can do. If you're, if the old one says you're trapping with him, okay. then you're with him. Uh, Poogie had a huge trap line. He said, this chunk's yours and this chunk's mine. And we'll see each other at night. <laughs> so, so what's huge? Uh, like uh, 230 uh, square miles, I think. His That's good. That, that, that is where so, the one down here that I have is a lot smaller. Um, it might be, I don't even think it'd be a third of that. Right. Well, 230 would be about seven townships, huh? Yeah. I'd have to look on the map, but yeah. his goes 19. Yeah. He's over 19 miles up and 20, 20 miles. That's a good size. Yeah. What and what? What's there for fur? In the northern one? Yes. Um, everything but raccoon. You got uh, Martin is a big one up there. Fisher, lynx. You get the odd bobcat, uh, beaver. Um, uh, Martin, Fisher, lynx. I just, yeah. I mean weasels and stuff like that. But right. the, the main one up there, otter, uh, is another one. Um, the main one up there is is Martin. Is a good Martin line. Yeah, yeah, he has he and they have no quota, so they can manage their line. So if yeah. you have an abundance of quota, and I, I can tell you where that works, quite a few years, Pugil just let the line want it to grow, right? Because the every population goes yep. like that. So when it goes down like that, he he backs off. One year he took nineteen, okay. Another year he took over a hundred, right? Okay. Now, my line, I have a quota, which is more government regulated. So now, but you guys have a beaver quota as well, which right. means you have a minimum number you have, right. to, have to, to keep your line. Right. So now this quota you're talking about for Martin, is it a, it's a maximum? It's, it's a maximum quota. Okay. But the only quotas uh, Poogie has is your beaver quota, where he has yeah. to take, I believe it's 40 beaver, you got to take 75% of your quota yeah. or, without giving cause. Okay, so if you've had a disease go through or, like, um, I got a quota of 40 on my line, but I'm right beside Algonquin Park, and this is where they've been protecting the wolves. Right. And... You're getting scarce on beaver? <laughs> no. <laughs> and so the M&R guy, when I took the line over, he says, you're going to have a hard time getting your beaver quota, right? So we're taking 10. The best year I did was 19. Right, and I, I showed him the maps. I said, "You, I can, I can get thirty off of here because I seventy-five percent of forty. I said, "But you really want me annihilating the beaver on the line, right? right? But you'll go there in the summertime. There's a few beaver around, and then you go back in the fall when the beaver are worth something, and there's all kinds of scat up and down the roads. Yeah, it's all." Yeah, yeah. People don't understand how important the beaver is in the whole, all of the ecology. Yeah. I mean, not not just the, like I mean, people understand. Of course, bear hunters understand. You know how the bear love beaver, yeah. but but wolves spend a lot of time eating beaver. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and and people just don't don't know that. I mean, there are so many beaver out there that people are unaware of. Right. So my my beaver quote is they they allow me with less, but I have a Martin quota where Poogie has an open quota and he gets to manage his. I have a quota, a closed quota of 22. Okay. I caught my 22 Martin off a less than half the line in eight days. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I, I'm trying to deal with the fur tech, 
And he says, well, we're looking at it. We're looking at it. Now, this is two years running, right? If you yeah. can get your limit. My first, our first setting the first day last year was nine. So you, and then because I got a quota uh, of, uh, of Fisher of 12, right? Right. Even though I get my quota of Martin, it's pretty hard to set a Fisher trap. I've tried putting little signs up, Martin, stay yeah. out. <laughs> right? <laughs> Bloody things can't read. That's my problem. <laughs> so, so, so you almost have to stop trapping because you do. Like you've hit I, your quota. I had I had that situation with the, the the current line that I have. My first few years, I I I was only allowed twenty two Fisher, and I would have the one year I had twenty two Fisher. I had seven Martin. <laughs> so yeah. so I'd, I'd I'd have to I'd have to to quit, pull it all, and and shut it down. There's so many things that go into in, into the, those populations, and a lot of people were telling me that well, because I had so many Fisher, that was why I didn't have Martin. But it, actually, it, it turns out as as I do more research, it's probably got more to do with with warm winters and less snow. That um, low snow years consecutively usually builds up your Fisher population, whereas Martin, because they spend so much time under the snow, they like the the yeah. the, the big snowpack in it, and so then then they end up uh, reproducing a lot better. So what's what's happened since I, I took over that line? Well, we've had a whole bunch of ten foot wi- uh, snow winters, right? <laughs> I know. <laughs> they threw a special for me, <laughs> but but my Martin have, have gone like this, and my and my Fisher have have, right. have definitely stabilized. You know, it's pretty egotistical to think I have my my line's 144 square miles, and you have a trap. You know, every every half mile or whatever it's egotistical to think that i'm i'm making a, a, an impact on that right on, on those those populations when you take a look at at, at the things like uh, your weather trends and all that that yeah. makes more sense to yeah. me you yeah. know it, even when they talk about fish populations i was at a seminar because i've been involved in the and, and i know this is trapping but the yeah. fish they a uh, fellow from trenton university um one of the professors there he was doing a presentation on fish populations Right. And cold water fish, if it was a cold water when they were breeding, had a higher uh, rate of hatch. Really? And then the warm water fish, that what you'd consider your warm water fishery, right. had a better hatch when the water was warmer. Right. And he was standing there saying that all of these things you do to try and manage physically manage the fish populations with with uh, um, s- limits and stuff like right. that has so little impact on the overall population it gives you an appearance of managing he says but we're not managing anything he says the weather's control he says you can have a bad year and wipe out more fish and it's it's the ultimate virtue signal signaling and to me it angers me the most is because the average average joe outdoorsman agrees to go along with stuff because he wants he is a conservationist right as a trapper a hunter fisherman or whatever we are conservationists we yeah. worry about the future of what uh, of what we're doing and, and the animals so when somebody says this is what we need to do to improve stuff we agree with it and we believe that we're doing stuff we've had uh, animals that have uh, like the grizzly bear uh, uh, caribou the goat uh, like the mountain goat and, and bull trout now are are, uh, are protected as well in, in Alberta. All in each time, the outdoors people stood up and said, "Sure, we can get rid of that hunting season or whatever." It has not improved any of those populations 
because that wasn't what was what was pressuring the populations. But we we took the hit for it. Yeah. Well, well, the reality of it is, we take less than five percent of the total mortality in the outdoors. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. I've actually heard figures as low as, but I get in trouble when I say this, around 2%, right? So if we're taking or leaving plus or minus, say, 5%, right? Yep. You're, you're pretty bold in thinking, well, we can have an impact on the overall population by managing or, as I like to say, government's mismanagement of yep. that 5%. They're really not managing the resource. They're managing people. That's exactly it, and that's that's the easiest thing to do because they yeah. can manage people with a keystroke yeah. on a computer, yeah. where they can't can't do that right. with with the animals. You know, when I when I was a tournament fisherman, we'd we'd look at an eight pound walleye, and she might throw a hundred thousand eggs, right? And if a thousand of them make them make it to spawn themselves, that's successful. That, that right. that's huge success. Okay, and we take a look at at everything that comes along that causes mortality along the way. When we're took, look, looking at our martin or fisher or or, or whatever, and uh, you know she has you know, so many young every year, and if 10% make it through to spawn, uh, to, to uh, mate the next, yeah. ne next year, that's successful. That's right. a healthy population. Yeah, I tell people, I don't try to, I don't try and make the populations go like, I try to take the high highs off and the yeah. low lows off. Yeah. That's the best, I think the best we can do, but as to be able to manage it, I mean, um, you, you can have a beaver population that you've been managed, managing for uh, 10 years, and Tullerima come through the the yeah, area absolutely and wipes them out yep. so then the, it, it pops back up but i still feel the guy on the line i i was doing a presentation in toronto for a standing committee once in not far from here up in i i've been extremely involved as folks from ontario would know in the organization okay. of, of the uh, the ontario fur managers and i was in toronto and i was doing a standing presentation and it was on our species at risk law that was coming in. And one of the questions given to me by one of the politicians was, well, Mr. Davies, if I take your stand, what do I tell an environmentalist? And I said, well, Mr. Bizon, with all due respect, your, questions, your question in itself assumes that I'm not an environmentalist. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I said, I care more about that population. I said, my livelihood depends on a strong population. I said, do you think somebody who's got a concrete jungle down here in Toronto really has a good care for the population? I said, if that population's not there, whether it be minnows or whether it be uh, raccoons or, or whatever, as we started off by saying, one of the reasons... I. I built my livelihood around what I love to do. I love to be in the outdoors, therefore I trap, right? right? But I do do it for the money as yeah. well. So I, I, I said to him, I said, if my livelihood's depending, because this was quite a few years ago, I said, if my livelihood depends on that population being good, I said, who do you think cares more about it? Exactly. Me or somebody who lives in downtown Toronto who doesn't even know what the critter looks like other than Walt Disney? Well, I mean, it's, we, we, we have the most uh, honest free market example of that, and it's Africa. In Africa, if it pays, it stays. It's as simple as that. So you take a look in, in Kenya, when, when they sh in 77, they, they shut down uh, all hunting. 
right? right. There's no longer any hunting left. There are 80% less animals in the wild in Kenya today than there were then. And it's strictly because now the elephants are eating, eating your, your acre of beans. And that's what you're trying to live on for the year. Right. The lions are, are, are eating your goats. So those, all those animals are killed, poisoned, and shot. There are literally 80% less animals in Kenya than when there was hunting there yeah. because the hunters paid for it. Right. And it's 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 as simple as, as that. You know, I'm I'm not going to catch the last Martin on my line because I I, I want to build. Well, and I've been at a lot of functions where true conservationists are there doing something. I have yet to be at those work days and see any of the Animal Alliance people there um, uh, helping plant trees or whatever. You know, or That's where right. you're restoring. Right. I, I it's even with these beaver baffles. Okay. I explain this. Beaver baffle is what they're pushing. Some of the animal rights groups are pushing and they basically take a chunk of the dam out. Okay. Right. They put a tube in that goes way back into the pond. Oh yeah. We, and then we, the, we, we have a hundred years experience with that in oil patch they, in Alberta. They, it don't work. Oh, <laughs> it don't work, but they're selling them. Right. Because, and one fella, I don't know if I should mention names, but his name was, uh, um, uh, Mike Howie. Um, he said, the reason beavers build a dam is because they can't stand the sound of running water. Exactly. I said, My, that is not why they build a dam. I said, he says, well, we put in these beaver baffles and they usually move out by next spring. I said, do you know why they're moved out by next spring, Mike? I said, I'd like to take a cam, right, and put down through the vent in a beaver house in the middle of winter when those beaver can no longer get out their deep hole to, to get to their feed bed because you've lowered their water in the dam. Yeah. I said, that's why they dam the water. They dam the water for the, for the winter feed bed, not because they can't stand the sound of running water. And he turns to me, he says, really? He says, I'll have to look that up. I said, how can you say you're a fur defender when you don't <laughs> even know how the critter lives? And, and I said, so be, the reason they're not there in the spring is I said, you're starving them to death over the winter time. Exactly. Yeah. No, no. Like, so me trapping them is terrible. But if they're in their hut and they die. When, when, when you said that, you know, he said that they, they don't like the sound of running water. That's, that's not true. It's current that they, that they yeah. key on. Because you can, we, we, we've done, like I said, in the oil patch in Alberta, we've, we've done all kinds of inve inventive things like that. But even when you have a pure siphon suction tube or whatever, they will go, they'll find it and go block it off. It's not, it's not a sound of running right. water unless, unless they, they relate it to, to the splashing over the other side of the dam. But it's the fact that they find that right. current. Right. So that's why the beaver baffles don't work yeah. is because they do find the current. And if, if they can, they will, they, will, they will plug it. Or otherwise, they starve to death, like you say. Right. I, I have, uh, you know, contracts with my oil companies on my trap line and that. And, and you know, I started getting phone calls now. And, they, and they, you know, we're having trouble with, with beaver. And then I said, well, it's too bad. We should have done this earlier or, or later or whatever. You should have been get a hold of me. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm not doing it right now. And they say, why? Well, I said, because there are kits in the, in the yeah. house. And I said, they can't swim for 30 days. You want me to go trap mom and let them starve to death? Yeah. And they look at me and I said, I, I got no problem killing them right. come October. No problem at all. But I says, I, I'm not going to do it now. Right. You know, I says, they, they have no value and, and, they, and they're starving to death. But, well, but, but, I, I've never had an engineer say, <laughs> yeah, well, let's go kill them after that. At that point, they're just like, okay. <laughs> well, we have a little different problem, though, in southern Ontario is we have farm drains, like fields and fields, and there's farm drains, right? Yeah. And they'll build right to the top of the farm drain. The farmer can't uh, uh, work his field in the spring, right. right? Right. And then you have that uh, uh, 
where the ma and pa kicked the young ones out a year and a half later, yeah. then they start building again. So down here, if we get a call now, we have to go in and get them because the guy can't get on his ground, right? Where when fur prices were good, I don't think I did three nuisance calls a year, okay? That's right, yeah. But now that fur prices are down and people aren't trapping them, right, we get a lot of calls because we're in drainage. Like the, like you say, they'll find a current, they plug it up. Well, and, and that's that's what happened in Saskatchewan. When they, like in Saskatchewan, most of the, of the, the counties or rural management areas have a bounty on beaver, and they pay anywhere from $20 to $30 a tail, and that's all you have to, 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 to show up with. And they've actually removed beaver away from uh, f fur managers or, or trappers altogether. Everybody and anybody can shoot them. Yeah, they had thirty-eight thousand two years ago. The last numbers that I know, they had over thirty-eight thousand tails turned in. Yeah. and all they do is cut the tail off and, and leave the rest. Well, and to me, to me, to to how do I put this? To me, it's a, an extreme disrespect or insult to the animal to make its worth garbage i agree with you okay when i used to be able to take the animal and and use literally everything at least then but i i was with this mike howie guy i, I don't know if you've heard the show power in politics yes when they were doing the rcmp muskrat yes thing i Solomon called me up and asked me if I'd debate Mike Cowie over the muskrat issue. And so we did. Just for but, for everybody out there, it, it has to do with, um, traditionally, the, the, the RCMP Mounty uh, winter hats are made out of muskrat. And then they were going, there, there was a huge, uh, who was it? Took the animal rights. The animal rights took after it and said that there was much better things to use than muskrat. Not true. And we did manage to win this one. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But in that debate, I said to him, I said, you know for a fact, in Holland, where they pride themselves that they're a fur-free country. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They trap over 400,000 muskrats yep. a year. Yep. And give them an aerial burial. Now, I've heard figures. I don't know if the figure's correct, and maybe I shouldn't quote it. But I've heard figures they pay 100 bucks a muskrat. Yeah, it's unbelievable. But they're a fur-free country. Because yep. they take it by the tail. <laughs> I call it an aerial burial. They yeah. throw it away. Yeah. Well, what respect is, is that? Like, why not have it? If you're going to kill something, why not use it? Use it. Yeah. They do the same thing with the gray gray goose over there, and it's forty or fifty thousand gray goose that are that are killed every year and then thrown in the garbage. That's a lot of that's a lot of meat. Yeah, you know, that's, yeah. I mean, that's food. I mean, right. I mean, we have a lot of people in in Canada that that love eating muskrat, but I mean, goose is traditional food <laughs> around around the world, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you probably won't find muskrat. I didn't see it on the uh, on the uh, menu at the restaurant last night. <laughs> <laughs> so. What is your favorite animal to trap? Probably beaver. Yeah? Okay. And what's your favorite set? My favorite set is a scent post set. Okay. Bring them in through it. And the beaver is because you got one kick at the beggar. <laughs> They're pretty, they, they pick up pretty quick, don't they? Oh, I, I've talked to people and they said, you got to trap smart beaver. I've seen it take me a month 
and one guy says to me, he says, well, what do you do now? I said, well, now it's just personal. <laughs> 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 but like even with, with, with coyotes and, and fox and like I like trapping Martin. I like – there's a bit of a challenge. There's not much challenge trapping Martin. You throw some bait in, yeah, throw a trap yeah. on, right? Fox and uh, Fox and coyotes. I'm pretty proficient at them, and even if they outsmart me the first day, I was trapping the Sarnia Airport because the coyotes were eating the the leads off to the lights. <laughs> so they got me, you know, I was trapping it, and I set six traps, and we went to the first four, and they're all upside down beside, you know, and I make mistakes. Nobody's perfect. Yeah. First one, I'm thinking, Kay Davies, what'd you do, you dumb idiot, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the second one, I'm saying, you, are you this bright? <laughs> the third one, was tipped upside down. I turned to the guy. I says, who was in here before me? He goes kind of a shade of red. He says, well, we've had two people in here, and they weren't able to get them. <laughs> I said, well, why didn't you tell me? He says, well, what do you do now? He says, well, now, again, I use the same line. I said, ah, it's just a little more personal. And I outsmarted him. The next day, we had four. Right. Had he told me, they'd had an issue. But you can usually do something. You can usually outsmart a canine. Yeah. But you get a beaver that's been well-educated, it's a challenge. <laughs> Two things, I think, for that. First is that beaver lives in that pond, and he knows that pond intimately. It's not like he travels. The canines do travel. Right. So you may have one dig you out one day, and then the next guy's an idiot, and you catch him. <laughs> but you, you, you think that you got personal in one, right? I tell myself this all the time. <laughs> I outsmarted him. In actual truth, the, the one who dug me out is, 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 is gone. In the next county. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, to me, that's – but I, I think with the beaver, it's because that is his – That's you're in his wheelhouse. You're in yeah. his bedroom, right? Yeah, and so I, I enjoy that. And I, I, I think the most thing I enjoy most is, is just being outside. Like, uh, back in, a lot of people don't know, but back in, when I was 53, so that's uh, seven, eight, eight years ago, I went through some real bad anxiety stuff. I was president of the Canadian National Trappers. I was with the Ontario Fur Managers. We're trying to get a Canadian-wide organization going and traveling. And my doctor said, you got to remember you're 53, not 35. Well, one day I got up. I didn't want to go out my own back door. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was, it was a very weird thing. Yeah. And uh, actually what got me through it was my we just backed off a whole bunch of stuff. But the thing I kept doing was trapping. And instead of trapping under pressure, I just said, I'm going to go out. This is what I enjoy. I'm on the outdoors, the fresh air in your face. And it, it, it passed. <laughs> but uh, Good, that, that's exactly, uh, um, yeah. So... What would you say is your biggest accomplishment in trapping to date? The thing as you're most proud of? Probably on the Ontario Fur Managers. Talk about that. Tell us about, about the organization. The organization, the Ontario Trappers Association, I don't know if you know the whole history, it collapsed I in don't. the late 80s. It was the auction house and... Uh, you gotta understand. I'm yeah. from Alberta. This, right. This is back east. Yeah. <laughs> usually, yeah. usually talked about while spitting over your shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, a, a bunch of us got together, and we wanted to see an organization that wasn't tied to an auction house. And um, for the most part, I don't know if you know of or heard of Murray Monk. Yes, I think I'm friends with him, him on Facebook. Okay, <laughs> he and I are very good friends. 
To say it was two people would be an absolute lie, okay? Um, but we had no money. We had nothing. And uh, yeah. Sounds like when I got married. <laughs> <laughs> there was two of us. We had no money. We had nothing. <laughs> there, there was people all across Ontario, and they all did a, a lot of work, okay? But the main driving force behind North and South was Murray and I. And okay. um, I was the only one at that time with a computer. Right. in the group <laughs> so i did so you, were, you were important <laughs> i was important i did all the membership lists i did the newsletters and i wrote most of the constitution for it and if you called them up today and asked who would you ch call about the expert on the constitution i i stepped down a few years ago because i'd been at it for 25 years but we took it we took something that didn't exist we have membership of between six and 6,500 voluntary memberships of the province. We usually carry about 90 to 95% of all our trappers belong. And to me, to have an organization, um, to see the folks who have carried it on, uh, to sit, like, I step back, right? Mm -hmm. I step back and I decided, you know, I've been here long enough, uh, it's time to let the younger guys go. And I don't like to, you know, you sit there with your thumb on top, right? So I watched it and see some of the young guys sort of stepping in is probably one of the greatest senses of accomplishment because then I know trapping's going to go on. Exactly. And um, because of my background of what I said with the anti-trapping, I've always felt that a strong organization promoting trapping is the foundation as to what we're going to carry on with. And that's why we start, tried getting the CNTA up and going. And we did. Um, I hate to say this, but some of the, the directors out west, had they done their job? <laughs> well, we had 500, just under 500 members in Ontario. Right. Uh, the East Coast had come on board, but they don't have many folks in there. Right. We had just under 1,000 memberships, but some of the... Western provinces had troubles getting double digit. Oh, I. But but we, in that we brought a we brought a magazine. We had a cross country magazine. Group. Right. We brought uh, trapping insurance across Canada, so that was an accomplishment. But um, it takes more than one person or two people. A fellow yep. by the name of uh, uh, Marshall Chris Christie uh, uh, out west or out east. He he was really in behind it, but. I wish more people had been on board. Yeah, but it, it, it's difficult. I mean, when, when you're talking about, uh, sometimes they think that just the sheer geography of, of Canada yeah. is an yeah. issue. I know that even the, the difficulties we have within the, uh, the Alberta Trappers Association, just the size of Alberta, yeah. you know, like to, to bring everybody together. But we did it in Ontario. Yeah. Okay. Um, and Ontario's one of, if not the biggest trip across. So... Uh, I mean, but to see the Ontario fur managers going on, the uh, executive director now, Robin, and uh, Robin Horwath, and uh, to see it carrying on and uh, it being a strong organization. When you can get 90, 95% of the people you want to represent voluntarily join your organization, fe feeling that you have done that job for them and for them to carry on doing it from year to year to yep. year. Yep, yep. I look, I look at it, and uh, it's, 
It's nice. <laughs> that is good. That is good. So, so, so we took it from zero members to over six thousand. That's very, very big success for. And you're you're a voice for trappers. Yes. And yeah. you you get a seat at the table. Oh, absolutely. We, we we get a seat at the table quicker than a lot of organizations. We usually have a direct line to the minister's office. So, what has what what has been the the most successful tool in your toolbox on that? Just the numbers of your organization, or you're loud, or you're yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I think knowledgeable, right? Um, a lot of times, people get up and they they'll speak on stuff, and like we. Robin, we've usually had very good people. Murray's great for speaking. Um, uh, and knowing what's happening and not just going there and making a fool of yourself. I, I think... I it, mean, we've done presentations to the city of Toronto. We've done them all over yeah. to the major cities. And I, I always say that the, the, the biggest secret weapon that Sandy and I have with our TV show is, is that we're just plain, ordinary, boring, normal people. And, <laughs> and people look at you and think, well... I don't look like a, like what I think a trapper right. is. Right. Once again, it's you know so and just not allowing yourself to get caught up in the emotion and right. stick with the facts. And you you also have to have people who can speak. Okay, there's a lot of knowledgeable people, but as soon as they get speaking, they get a little tongue tied. Right. If you, that's not one of my problems. No, I noticed that. <laughs> It's not one of Murray's problems. It's not one of Robin's problems. And I mean, John Fish was a president for a while. Like I've known a lot of the presidents and stuff. And um, and having a board that backs you. Like even when we tried to start up the CNTA, most of the founding money or the money came from that was from the Ontario Fur Managers. Right. And they're trying to put it in to recreate what we had across Canada, right? right. Because we feel the political, you, you, you can... Um, do whatever you want to do, but unless you're talking to the people uh, who don't know, like the Ontario Fur Managers now goes into the Toronto Cottage Show. Right. Okay? Yep. Uh, we go into a sportsman show. Everybody loves us at the sportsman show. Yes. Right? Yep. But who do you reach? Nobody. You're singing to the choir, right? That's, so, that's my favorite line because... We probably have every every trapper with the, with, with the TV or internet is is a fan of our show, yeah. but about 80, 80 to eighty five percent of our fans aren't trappers. Yeah, like and so I'm not preaching to the choir. I'm not even in the church anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, and then when we like we do the cottage show in Toronto, we do the cottage show in Ottawa. We've been going into more controversial settings. And when people see the facts, and I, I go back to what I started off with. I believe in the, the 10, 80, 10, or like I say, yep. some people say it's 20, 60, 20. But I, um, there's a group of people that feel you're never going to reach that 10% or that 20%. So Absolutely. We're, we're not trying to reach them. But there is that group in the middle who will listen to reason. You can't blame the anti-trappers for doing their job. Okay, nope. but if they're out educating and you're sitting there with your finger up your nose, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, was a, that was a very non-trapper term. <laughs> well, I got thinking TV family. <laughs> but if you are, you can't blame the the public for believing if they never see the other side. It's 
I know I won't get into it, but the same thing with climate change. All you ever hear is one side of it. Yep. You know, yep. they never put Timothy Ball up to to give an opposing view. So I don't believe it's the animal rights job to back off. No, no. I I I do believe it's our job to show the fallacies of what they do. My biggest problem is is and I've said this about a lot of things. The animal rights people are here, okay? And we go to negotiating. We try to compromise, right? So yes. we go to here. Yeah. And you say, oh, you take a breath of fresh air. Uh-uh. Because they're still here. Yep. So the next time you go to negotiating, the only way you can compromise. Is you got to move again. You got to move again. And, and I point that out at meetings. You, you guys haven't moved. Yep. Okay. We have. Yep. Why aren't you moving? Okay. It's like I was at a meeting. It was a wildlife conflict group in Toronto. Liz White. I mean, we're, when I say friends, I, <laughs> she's a nice lady. Okay. And <laughs> we, we shake hands and she's a nice lady. But she, she doesn't know. Right. So when she presents her side of things and then we present our side of things, at least that way you, you get the other side out. One time we were in a meeting and she was saying things like, well, we all agree on, uh, on uh, humane farming, right? Mm-hmm. And so even the farm groups in the meeting said, yes, I agree, yes, I agree, yes, I agree. They got to me. I said, no, I don't. She, the facilitator said, you don't agree with humane trapping or humane farming? I said, that's not the issue here. I said, her definition of humane exactly, and my definition of humane are two totally different definitions. I said, so if I agree to it, she's going to leave this meeting and go out and say, Bill Davies agrees with me exactly. when I don't. And I said, let me give you an example. And this is where I started off. I said, Liz, if I went up behind an animal very quietly and went, boo, it fell over dead and its skin fell off it, would that be acceptable? <laughs> right, <And> she said. <laughs> well, she didn't. <laughs> but the answer was loud and clear. Right. Like they're not after, and and you've got to understand this. There is no appeasing the anti-trappers. Well, it was a very, very it's the same with anti-hunting. Like when uh, I've twenty years of doing a hunting TV show as well, and everybody was saying, well, you can't show a second shot on TV. Like if you needed to make a follow-up shot right. on an animal, you can't show that because that's just fodder for the antis. And I said, I'd always say no. No, they're not against the second shot. They're against the, that I have the right for the first shot. That's right. what it's all about. Yes, exactly. So as much as I like the eights agreements, okay, yeah. because it does give you a tool, I'm also a, I've given up far enough. Before the eights agreement, I could go into a school and I could take the traps I had because I believed in them, right? I believed yeah. they were humane at the time, okay? And... I was convincing people without the AIDS agreement that trapping was a humane thing because I knew how to come at it. Now, like I said before, it has made it good when you're at a city council and say, well, now our traps are certified, certified yeah. international standards, da-da-da-da-da. That's hard for her to, to fight, fight against. Yeah, because they, they got to set what, <laughs> what, what the rules were going to be, Right, which was one time that we, we were really stupid and got lucky. <laughs> but but I, I maintain... And you will never know. I think we could have won the same battle without all of the same compromises. 
the U.S. has. Their 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 fur gets shipped to to our auctions all the time, and and they they don't have to abide by any of it. Right. You know. And, and, and my my thing is is that every time we go, we're the ones who are compromised. They haven't given an inch. I used I used to. Uh, this is back before. I mean, living in northern Alberta, most of the world has been passed as by until recently. But I can remember uh, Ted Nugent, and he would speak for the NRA, and he'd be up there, and he'd be yelling, and he'd be defending the right to own an anti-aircraft gun. You know, and I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking, geez, Ted, you know, maybe we don't need to own a, you know, a, a, a 25 <laughs> centimeter or millimeter uh, uh, anti-aircraft gun. And, that. and then I realized afterwards, as I got older and, and learned a little bit more about life, and that was you just don't ever start walking down the road. If you, if you don't, if you never take that first step, then, you know, they have to come to you. Right. That's what, that's where he was at. And he was brilliant yeah. because the, the truth of it is, is, is that you, you know, we've, we've moved here now, now yeah. we've, we've compromised and that, right. and, but they still haven't moved. They're right. still against trapping period. Right. You know? And so, so then we got to move again and again and again. Right. You know? Yeah. And I, this, Conservative, I sort of fall off the right-hand side of conservative stuff. Oh, I'm, I, I'm to the right of Genghis Khan. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 I, and I feel the same way about that. But I, I really do feel if you've got something that is good, and, and like I say, you can't beautify death, okay? Nope. So they have that advantage. Give them that, adva- give them that given, okay? It was years ago, even with the FIC, and I've had some history with the FIC, some good, some bad. But they were going at it from the, a lot of the native, like, rights to hunt, native mm-hmm. rights to hunt. Mm-hmm. And, and we're, I won't say riding the back of the natives, but that was, I said, we don't have to do that. Come down to farmland in on southern Ontario where we got four or five acres of corn stripped down and let the people see that, right? Right. Show them the farms with the beaver dams across them. Yeah. And they can't get out. Right, uh, and, and and show them why we trap. Let's not just say it's one group. And I don't mind the natives' uh, rights, right? right? And I and I'll fight for their rights. I, I think they have some rights that they should have. But I don't think you're going to win the trapping discussion with the antis that way. I think I think the best uh, the best thing that could ever happen are raccoons. Ra- ra- <laughs> raccoons in, in Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it very well may be. But you see, then you're also appealing to that 80% or whatever that group is in the middle. Exactly. So we need to aim our, our advertisement at that 80%. One of the big things that we got on one of our banners of, banners of the OFMF is uh, uh, we have uh, just up in Wawa a few years ago. The whole Trans Canada Highway was shut down because it was washed out, mm-hmm. and it was washed out because they had a lot of rain up around Wawa. A few beaver dams in the top of the hills went out. Right. And I went up there that fall thinking, because I go up there moose hunting. Uh, well, these must be big rivers. That the bridge? No, the big rivers were all right. These were little <laughs> six-foot round culverts or whatever. Right. That. When the beaver dam let out, it couldn't handle the, the flow, so it took the highway out. Like, it took out a parking lot of a dealership and a, a hotel. So you show that, and some people say, oh, yeah. Or Climate you, change. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's, 
that's the answer for everything today. <laughs> but, but you know what I'm saying? And, and somebody with a cottage says, oh, yeah, they, that's what happens, right? It, it was one, one of the things that sort of happened was the animal rights group got really bold. And they took on everybody. They took on the farming. Like, they were winning with the trapping, right? Because nobody yeah. went trapping. Yeah. And then they took on the farming and they took on, like, even my doctor. Because, like, I go in for a year of uh, shots and stuff, right? Yeah. And uh, for my rabies shots. And he, he said to me one time, he says, I never knew what you were talking about until they started lying about the medical industry. There you go. Yeah. Right? So, so now I can appeal to the doctors because these people who are lying about what you do, they're lying about what I do. Farming, whatever, right? Yep. They, they, they take an extreme example, right? And well, not even say first, some of it isn't set up. First, they come to, to get your anti-aircraft gun. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then, 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 then nobody needs to have automatic rifles and then nobody needs to have semi-automatic rifles or right. black semi-automatic rifles. It's the same thing. Right. So the thing that they didn't, those they didn't kill trapping first before they made the next step onto the onto the next people, right. right? Had they they probably had they stuck with trapping, I think it would have been a harder battle. Yeah, I don't I don't disagree with you. So I'm glad they did. I'm glad they got a little bolder, but it's still. But I think a lot has to do. Like I teach a trapping course down here, and I tell guys, do. My, if I can go back, my dad used to say, "Son, you can be right, but you can also be dead right." Yeah. <laughs> I, I used to ride my bicycle from Toronto to Bracebridge and I complain about a truck driver and I say, but I had the right of way. Right? Yeah, yeah. And my dad say, son, you can be right, but you can also be dead right. <laughs> and it's the same thing with trapping. I, I've had chats with some guys and I've called some trappers some nasty names because I've had to go to in front of a council to defend what they did lawfully but was stupid. You know, and I have that too. And I mean, we run a lot of social media and I have to have, I, I have conversations with people. Yes, it happened. Yes, sometimes the, the craziest stuff happens. And I, but I say, why would you want to show that? Right. You know, why would you want to, to shoot yourself yeah. in the foot? Like, like if there's a walking trail and you got permission from the trail to set the trap, don't set the trap where the guy's going to walk his dog. No. Right? Because no. it's going to be on social media. And, 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 and stuff like, yeah, don't, especially in southern Ontario where you know you're going to be, it doesn't matter what you do to a dog, right? Yeah. If it's in a trap. Yep. There's, you may win the battle. Yep. Because you're there legally, but you've, you lose the war because people look at it and say, oh. My biggest argument with that is, you know, because every year invariably there's there's a dog or a you know, caught in a snare or caught in a 330, yeah. in, you know, Alberta, whatever, and it's the end of the world. And whenever I'm, I'm asked to comment on it, I say, well, how many people were, or how many dogs were run over in Edmonton today? Yeah. And, they, and they look at you and they, yeah. I say, I say I'll, I'll, I'll bet you the summer between 10 and, and, and 100 dogs yeah. were killed on the highways today. So whose fault is that? Yeah. Well, the dog owner. Yeah, okay, so... The dog is, is on my land and in my right. snare. Whose fault is it? Well, and, and I, I take that position. Yeah. But I also turn to the trappers and say, if there's something you can do. Absolutely. Do it. On top of that. Yeah. I'll go, I'll, I'll stand for your, 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 your right to do it. But do it smart. 
Right. I have. Uh, we can what, sometimes be our own worst enemies. Oh yeah, I've, I have. I have a, a guy who has a, a big feedlot, so he's got a dead pile, right? Yeah. And the, he has coyotes, and and he's he's close enough that he has wolves at certain times too. However, he has neighbors right up next to him. His neighbors have dogs that roam. Yeah. And so I'll only do footholds, but in, in Alberta that means that I have to check them every twenty-four right. hours. So there's not a lot of the winter that I can manage right. that. And so he's unhappy, but I say, you know, he says, well, if, if the, their dogs are on my place, you know, that's too yeah. bad. I says, no, nah, that's, that's really bad for both you and yeah. I. So, you know, I mean, the, the one lab there, I have caught like eight times in a foothold. <laughs> and, and he sits there and his tail's wagging. He's so yeah. happy to see me. I let him out and I, and you mean I check his... foot's his... not hanging off? No, and no, there's nothing to go to wrong. A... <laughs> I, ca I, catch my, I catch my own dogs in footholds right. all the time. You know, so... I, I rub his foot and make sure everything's okay because I'm checking yeah. every 24 hours. There's, there's no damage, and away he goes. And then yeah. I'll tell the next time I get you, right? People will say to me, well, does anything ever happen? And you know what I mean by that. <laughs> and I'll say, well, yeah, probably, once in a while. I said, but let me ask you this. Space shuttles. Uh-huh. Did they go up perfectly yeah. every time? Yeah, exactly. No. The Hubble's telescope. They sent it up. The most brilliant minds in the world. Did they make a mistake? Yeah, they did, because they had to go fix it, right? But is there intent to have a shuttle get a few miles off the Earth and blow up? No. So they do everything they can do to do it right, and then it falls under that one category where something happens. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, which you, but, but you say that to the public, and they say, Oh, yeah, I guess that's the same as your your dogs on the road, right? Yep. There's an acceptable amount of mistakes. All you're doing is just bringing a little bit of rationale into the argument. Correct. Where, whereas all, if all they're seeing is some, some dog dead in a trap or a snare, well, that is... That is, I mean, we all love dogs. Yeah. We all, we're, we, I mean, as trappers and that, we're, we're, we're animal lovers. I mean, when people yeah. have a hard time, you know, reconciling that. But, but it's the truth. But the the whole the whole thing is is, is the intent, and yeah. there is no well, I I people ask me if I go to a council meeting, especially like in Toronto or uh, Oshawa or something like that, big city. They say, "Have you ever caught a dog?" Um, well, there's two different types of dogs I catch. Well, what do you mean? I said, "Well, there's the legal dogs, and there's the illegal dogs." I said, "I've never caught a legal dog in my life." Yeah. Now, well, what do you mean by that? I said, "I've just never caught a legal dog." I said, "If you're constituents are obeying the laws of Ontario. They don't have to worry about my, my traps. I said, but if you're letting your dog run at large and you're not supposed to, because you're supposed to have control of your dog at all times. Yes. You may have something to worry about, but I've never caught a legal dog in my life. That's a good way to put it. I like that. I like that. Cause, cause it puts the onus back on them. Right. Like, I mean, in today's world, it's always somebody else's yeah. fault, right? And at that, even though I need permission, right? And they don't have permission. In Southern Ontario, I tell my course people, if when you're doing the practical sets and you don't do something to make your coon trap dog resistant, like the 220 or whatever, you'll fail a course. Okay. Because I expect you to use your head. It might be a legal trap. Yes. But I, I mean, again, you get under that product category of crap happens right but i still believe it's up to us to take that three seconds at a set to try to make it not happen 
Absolutely. You know what? I mean, I've, 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 uh, like I said, I've had a lot of, uh, a lot of dogs in, in footholds, and I've had some of them standing there in the snares. I thank God they're not dead. You know. Yeah. I, I don't want to catch them. No. You know, like I mean, the, the, I, I have. Uh, uh, a bait pile in in the middle of of a uh, quarter section. So the, the the neighbor's dog has traveled, you know, two miles to get there. You know, <laughs> there's there's nothing legal about that dog. <laughs> right. But I'm I'm so happy that 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 he's he, he knows that what a leash is. And so yeah. when he got caught, he's standing there, even though he's standing in a power yeah. room. <laughs> you know, it's, it's good that he's obedient with a with, with a leash is on. But you know, you can release him and he's gone because that's not what I want right. I want to do. Yeah. Right? So so we set. To try not to, does stuff happen? Well, if you're, you know, most car drivers have been in an accident. Yeah. Does that mean you're gonna? Yeah. You know, same same as your dog story. So that that's sort of my approach to it, and I, a little bit of common sense on the trapper side makes it a whole lot easier to stand in front of a city council. Oh, good and good for you. <coughs> I mean, that's uh, that, that's fascinating. That you must have some uh, incredible stories about. about <laughs> Fights within council chambers. <laughs> I think a lot of us do. <laughs> so where where to from here? What what's next? For me, um, I'm 60, 61, and uh, I'm like we opened up some, a tanning business last year, so I'm tanning quite wow. a bit. Wow! And uh, we're closing up the store in Windsor, and getting. I'm not retiring. But I want to spend more time on my trap line. There was, there was years when we started up the OFMF. Right. Um, where I would leave my house and set some traps, get in the house, answer the phone, go back out and unset the traps. And that's, that wasn't just my story. Right. The people who were dedicated to it. Part of my thing was, was uh, being as close as I am to Toronto, if proverbial crap ever hit the fan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was usually one of the guys they got to go, not the only guy, but one of the guys they got to go to meet. So I'm, from here on in, I want to, I'm trying to spend more time on my trap line up north of Huntsville. I love the bush. I built my livelihood around what I love to do. Yes. Now I want, it's 60. I knew I'd get this old someday. I just didn't realize it would take this short a time to get here. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> um, yeah, I've been married 38 years in a, another couple of months. So we want to start yeah. slowing things down. We never considered divorce. Murder has crossed our minds from time <laughs> to time, but never divorce. And uh, I mean, I, I married a wonderful lady. So uh, that's, that's fortunate on my part. So, and we want to start slowing down, slowing down, but doing the stuff I like. I started tanning. Oh, I've always tanned, but I started doing it about three years ago. And I love working in the fur. Right. Okay. So now I'm working with everybody else's fur too. So. So are you going in in this in a big way then? Uh, define big. <laughs> what, no. What, what's the name of your fur tanning company? <laughs> oh, it's just under my Davies Enterprises company. Oh. But um, I'd like to be busy at it. Right. Three days of the week. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I gotcha. <laughs> my my cell phone. This is my cell phone. Oh, a flip phone. <laughs> okay. When I went in so and got it. In today's world, they, they, people would think you're a drug dealer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
when I went in and got it, which wasn't that terribly long ago, I said, I don't need hi-fi, my-fi, wi-fi, or bi-fi. I just need to make a phone call. And this normally doesn't come out of my truck because right. I got Bluetooth in my truck. And people say, well, I couldn't get a hold of you. I said, that's right. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing. You're out of cell contact. No, this is in my truck. I, I mean, there's a time, right? If I can help out some younger people get in, if I can help out the OFMF uh, from a, because it's a great organization, um, and slow down and then start to, you know, 60, 61. I'm not saying it's the end of life. It, it might be the beginning. God, it better not but, because I'm 60. <laughs> but I, I, well, if you're, if you're there, you're the same boat as I am. You've probably got more days behind the, than, than you do ahead. <laughs> nah, right? I never think that way. <laughs> <laughs> I have 13 grandkids. Uh, so um, they all got to get involved somehow. They yeah. got to have some old man to, <laughs> to show them the ropes, right? That's right. That's right. So, yeah. And I, for me, one of the saddest days that ever came was when our daughter she wasn't our youngest daughter but our last daughter got married and my house was quiet so now my favorite days are when the house is noisy again I, right. I built a home I didn't and uh, I like it when it's noisy so the kids can come up and see a lot of times even up until three or four years ago I was away a lot running especially with the when I was with involved in the CNTA right and now it's time to I sit back and I can sort of enjoy the rewards of, I can look at it and say, I started it, but now it's not me. Right. 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 One guy can, or, and it's, and it's, it's always kind of the sign of your, uh, of uh, your legacy when it's worthwhile enough for somebody else to continue it. Yes. That's what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. And, and you see these young guys who were the age I was when Murray and I, and there's Nick Nichols, uh, Tom Shepard, you know, if I try and think of the guys, I'm probably going, because we're going back 30 years. Because yeah. it wasn't always the Ontario Fur Managers Federation. It was started off as the OFMF, OFMC. It was corporation. And then oh, okay. it changed names. But uh, the guys who, uh, I'm going to miss guys if I, if I start naming it. Nick Nichols, he's, he's, he's passed on. And Tommy Shepard was in. And um, Steve Ball was involved in it in the beginning. And... Now we can sit back and, like, quite a few years ago, I had moose hunt up near Murray. And uh, he came down in his Kubota, and we're getting a picture when a guy, he turns at me. He's sort of, we're not sentimental, but we sort of are. And he looks at me and he says, beginning of the OFMF, eh? <laughs> <laughs> so when we can sit back and look at it. That's kind of cool. That's very cool. Um, very cool. And you knew, you know, uh, I think that's going to be one of my. Your legacies. Yeah. Definitely. Not my, I don't want to say it's my legacy as it's mine. It's cool to, to say I was part, I was of, part of it. Of it. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. because that would be very unfair to a lot of people who did an awful lot of work. Yeah. No, but just to be part of it. I mean, yeah. that's, that, that, that's a quite the accomplishment. Yeah. So that's, you know, fish, hunt, trap. <laughs> the good life. Take my, grand, <laughs> take my grandkids out. Yeah. <laughs> So if people want to get a hold of you for, for your tanning, do you have a website? Yeah, it's uh, Wally's Bait, W-A-L-L-S-B-A-I-T dot com. Dot com. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, sir. It's been a pleasure. I, I have had a great time. Um, 
I, I know I've been remiss in, in, in getting out to Ontario and, and, and talking. There's many wonderful people out here to talk to. I don't like where I'm sitting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a lot more comfortable, I'm sure, on the, on the front door of your cabin or, yeah. or, uh, or, or at, at Wally Spate. I've been yeah. there before. <laughs> That's great. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.